she once again heard Anna's voice, a voice that calmly and sensibly forced her to listen even though Natasha wanted to run over and throw herself against the wire fence. She wasn't sure when she had stopped thinking of Anna as a real-world source of solace and good advice, and instead turned her into this odd inner fairy godmother who kept an eye on Natasha and made sure she didn't behave too stupidly. Perhaps it was since that night a year and a half ago when she had attempted to stab Michael in the throat with a knife. Was it then? Natasha was glad Anna was there. It made her feel less alone. She walked back through the deep snow, well over half a kilometer, and to the little clearing where she had parked the dark blue Audi. She might as well try to sleep a little. She brushed extra snow onto the car's license plate to be safe. She didn't think Robbie would report it stolen for the time being. He was probably still asleep, and when he woke up, he would find the note she had placed next to his pillow. I'll be back. Love, Katarina. Right now, she wished she had called herself something else. In the Audi's trunk, she found a blanket and a thick tarp. She took them both into the back seat and cocooned herself inside. A sleeping bag would have been better, but she didn't have a sleeping bag. The bed in the apartment in Kiev had been a revelation in several ways. Clean and white and delicious smelling, full of pillows, comforters, and smooth, light sheets. Egyptian cotton, Pavel had said, and she just nodded. She had never before lain on a mattress that received the body in this way, firm and soft at the same time. At home, in the room in Kurakova, you could feel the bed slats through the worn foam rubber. And Pavel, 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 Pavel. He had driven into her life in a shiny red Alfa Romeo one day as she was trudging along the road between Dachny and Kurokovo. She had missed the bus and would rather walk to the next stop than stand waiting in the cold. When he slowed down and asked if she wanted a lift, she had ignored him at first. She didn't want him to think she was one of those girls. But he had kept rolling along next to her, apparently indifferent to the trucks that roared by him, honking, and all the vulgar gestures and shouts from the passing drivers. He had spoken to her, just as if they were walking along next to each other on the sidewalk, although they did, of course, have to shout more loudly. He was a journalist, he said, and was writing an article about safety in the coal mines. Did she know anyone who worked there, or anyone who once had? Everyone does she said. There were practically no other places you could work in Kurokovo. It was the mines or the power plant or unemployment. Her father had lost his job two years ago. Her mother still worked in the plant cafeteria. And what about you? He had asked. It had gone on like that all the way to Kurokovo. And finally, when they had reached the outskirts of town, she had gotten into his car because by now her feet hurt, and because she was getting hoarse from shouting, and because, because Pavel was Pavel. She had insisted on a church wedding, so that everyone could see that she had married well, to a husband who had both money and culture.
an intellectual, as her father said, at once contemptuous and satisfied. Pavel didn't drink vodka, not even at the wedding party, where he wore a dark Armani suit. Few of the guests could appreciate such details, but that wasn't important. Pavel looked like what he was, a success. At the same time, he had shown everyone else up for what they were and would always be, a bunch of drunken, shabby bumpkins with foolish grins and yawning gaps in their teeth, uncles and aunts and cousins and girlfriends from school who arrived on the back of their boyfriend's scooters. None of them drove an Alfa Romeo, and none of them had an apartment in Kiev with a view of the National Museum.